I call you guys site dependent because you know site dependent people they're looking at a trail and they're all about what their eyes are doing and you just missed the most beautiful bird that was you know chirping away over here at your side Famed American author and naturalist John Muir once wrote that in every walk with nature, one receives far more than he seeks. In 1948, World War II veteran Earl Schaefer took a walk from Mount Oglethorpe, Georgia to Mount Katahdin, Maine in 124 days. His thru-hike, the first ever documented on the world-famous Appalachian Trail, would become the template for thousands of others in the 70 years since. This is a series of stories from 70 different people in their own words, highlighting the crown jewel of the American hiking experience, where we get a better understanding of ourselves and the world around us. From Constant Spring Creative in Atlanta, this is the 2180. My name is Jennifer Taylor. My trail name is Boss. And my husband and I did a section hike starting in February of 2018. Originally, we're from Southern Ohio. My name is John Taylor. I'm from Oak Hill, Ohio. Um, my trail name uh, is Vapor. And in 2018, my wife and I did a, or attempted a through hike, became a section hike of uh, the Appalachian Trail from the approach trail all the way through the Smokies. Whenever I was a, a child, um, you basically had to beat me to get me indoors. And then that's why I even joined the army. And whenever I went to the recruiter, I just told him, I was like, look, I'm gonna sign with you today. So don't lie to me. Just, you know, tell me the truth. I said, this is what I want. And he said, you, you actually want to be outside? And I was like, yeah, don't stick me in, a, in an inside. I want to be outside and I want to, and so then he's like, rapid deployment medic sounds like exactly what you need. And so he set it up for me and I was like, good deal, I'm signing paperwork. So I blew my knee out in the military and then I had three knee surgeries. On the third one, I threw a blood clot from that, which went up to my brain and it actually put me in a coma. Whenever I woke up from the coma, it had done so much damage that um, the eyes are fine, but it, the signal can't reach the occipital lobe because the occipital lobe is not there. And I woke up from the coma, one of the first things they did is they put me in to go to blind rehab. And I told them, I'm just a recreational blind user. I mean, I'm not, I'm not addicted, but they said I needed to go to rehab anyway. So, um, but I spent four uh, months at a rehab where they teach you how to do things. And you don't come out of being rapid deployment in the Army without a sense of, you're not going to tell me no. You know what I mean? And so whenever they told me, okay, these are the things you'll never, ever be able to do again. And these are the people who are trying to teach me how to reintegrate back into life. And so they're telling me things that I can't do. And they're like, you'll never be able to mow a yard again. They'd say, well, you know probably can just go ahead and hang up the idea of ever rock climbing again and it's like oh no you, you can't tell me that because I will I will make a way mm -hmm. and so the Appalachian Trail was perfect for that because there are a lot of rock scrambles and that was what a lot of people said they were like 
you know, vapor, I don't see how in the world you can do the rock scrambles. And it's like, are you kidding me? I can go up those faster than you can. A couple of my friends who are actually blind, uh, one of them born blind, and he doesn't really do as much as I do. Um, he And I think it's because of the fact that where he was born blind, ten, they tend to be coddled more. So they've never had that sense of independence Whereas somebody that loses their sight as they get older, um, then they turn around and they're like, no, you're not going to stick me in a little padded room. You know, I'm not going to be, you know, catered to like a baby. I, I want to be an individual, um, which uh, it's, you basically run into those two groups of people at the rehab facility. You have the people that are like, woe is me, let everybody do for me. And then you have the other people who are like, no, I don't want you to do for me. I want you to teach me how to do for myself because this is not going to stop me. See, I was, to backdate it a little bit, I was single for nine years. I did not date anybody. I just devoted my whole entire life to my children. And till John came along, and the first day that I met him, and six weeks after that we was married, and so... I never had anybody besides my children to go do those kind of things. And me and the children love to go fishing and camping and hiking. So when I met him and I found out that he liked to do all those same kinds of things, I'm like, this is going to be great. And so immediately we started camping and hiking together. And um, like I said, on the other trails that we've done, they're pretty well groomed. So we didn't have to worry about too many stumbling blocks. And... I just know him well enough to know that the challenge of the AT would be something he would want to do. And so the more I got to thinking about it, I'm like, you know what? We could do this. And so that's when I brought it up to him. Yeah, so. I, don't, I don't really uh, – I don't deal well with the word can't mm-hmm. um, whenever somebody tells me that. It's almost like a, a moral imperative and a challenge that I have to prove them wrong. The uh, the AT wasn't even in the cards for me, wasn't something I was interested in. I was rapid deployment in the military, and so I was always very adventurous. So she broached it and said, hey, I've heard of the Appalachian Trail. I said, I've heard of it. I know what you're talking about. And she said, "Uh, what do you think about us doing it? And I was like, hiking the Appalachian Trail? I am down. Let's go. So uh, then we started preparing what we thought was preparing by walking a lot, hiking a lot around home. It's not even the same animal. Um, So really about the best preparation we did was whenever we got our bus ticket and we went and we hit the approach trail and baptism by fire. I never look at my husband as having a handicap. I treat him like I treat everybody else. So I knew he was capable of doing it. We just had to figure out what would work for us while we was on the trail. And so normally he uses a blind cane. And so on the trail, he learned how to use trekking poles. And so it took us a couple days, but we got this routine figured out that I was in front, of course, and if there was a step up or a step down, I would double tap 
my trekking poles. Most time, you know, there's a, a log there or something that you're going over or up. And I would tell him up step or down step. And then he would take his trekking pole and where his right trekking pole would go would be where he would plant his right foot. Left trekking pole, left foot. So that's how he kept track of what he was going to be standing on. And then so like for any water crossings that we had to stand on rocks, I would go first and just talk it out the whole way as we're going through. Okay, left foot here. And so I was tapping so he could hear where it was. And so therefore he would just follow behind me doing exactly what I would tell him. The, the amazing part is that he can read my mind before I speak. And I can read his mind before he speaks. We just kind of flow together. And so therefore, it's just kind of like as we're going along and I get ready to tell him something, he can kind of get what I'm going to tell him kind of before I tell him. We're not psychic or anything like that, but we just have that type of relationship. And so it was just, we'd get to camp at night and, you know, I would do certain camp chores and he knew while I was doing those, he would do other camp chores. And um, I know if he was feeling bad that day or something, you know, that I would pick up and do more or vice versa. He would do more if I was feeling bad on the trail. But we just had this, like, communication. When people would watch us and she would be facing me on the other side of a water thing and she would be telling me, okay, put your left foot. I already knew it was my right foot because she's standing there looking at me and she's got it wrong in her head. So I never asked her to change that. I would just go ahead and start tapping around on my right side, even though she said left foot because she was facing me and I knew she was, she was thinking that that would be my left. A lot of what slowed us down was when there were so many rocks, especially the rocks, because he really had to feel out with those trekking poles. There was many times that I would tell him, you know, okay, I would tap and say rock. And so he would know the rock was there. But then we would come to this just boulder field of rocks. And I told him, I said, you're on your own. I said, I can't tell you where to put your feet at, you know, because there's just so many different ways that you could go through it. So that really slowed us down on those areas. I think for our speed, the way we were moving, um, it's surprising because you don't even notice you're getting them. You know, it's just, uh, that's like we hit a clearing area where there was no rocks or roots. And when we hit that, I mean, we dropped in some miles. We were yeah. we were hauling, but um, those, I think the the spots on the Appalachian Trail where you can really expect to not find any rocks or roots, uh, that was it. That was that one section. Yeah. <laughs> Everything after that is rocks, roots, and steps. There was points in times where we would be walking on a ridge line, and it would kind of drop off to the side, and I would tell him okay just stay right behind me and I said you know it's if you fall you're not gonna die and he says later I could hear the wind rushing up the sides I know it was a deep fall but I would tell him that's okay the trees will stop you you won't die and then there was areas that we came to that was sheer just straight drop off and I told him that's it I'm serious no joking around here you will die stay right behind me yeah, there were a couple times whenever, like the one time I felt the wind coming up this up from the ground, which can't happen because ground should stop it. And I asked her, I was like, how does it look over on my left side? And she was like, it's not really that bad at all. 
Well, I asked her after I heard the car about 150 feet below me gone down the road. And I was like, really? Because uh, I just heard that car that went by. And she was like, oh, you heard that, did you? (laughs) I could see the beautiful, beautiful scenery. And so I would describe it to him. And so he could kind of maybe get the feel of what it was like. And then he figured out on his phone to take voice memos. And so while we was at a summit and it was real windy, he would just record that sound. And so that's how he got his memories from the trail. Whereas I go back and look through at pictures, he goes back and listens to the sounds of the wind, of thunderstorms, and you know the birds and things like that. So he 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 figured that out pretty early on in the trail. Oh yeah, that was actually, um, and she figured out pretty early in, on in the trail. She came to an, a clearing and she was trying to describe to me what she was seeing. And I stopped her because it was windy that day, and I was listening to it in the trees. And so I explained to her, and she was like, okay, well, I'm just not even going to talk to you anymore because you pretty much nailed it on the head as far as what it looks like. But, I mean, I could hear the, you know, wind playing against the trees on the next mountain over, Mm -hmm. and it gave me a lot of information. Whenever people hear of, you know, your senses heightened, they think, okay, so that means your ear, your hearing gets better, probably your sense of smell. A lot of people don't think about your skin. I mean, you, your skin gets very sensitive to the least little breeze and, and so on and so forth. So, like, I can be walking and, and my hand brushed through a shadow. And I I know there was a shadow there because the wind is the the air is different as I move through it. Um, you know it's a little bit cooler and I've caught that. Um, so, you know there were a couple of times where um, I, I call you guys sight dependent because you know sight dependent people they're looking at a trail and they're all about what their eyes are doing and you just missed the most beautiful bird that was you know, chirping away over here at your side, letting all the other birds know to get out of the way because some people were coming through. And it's it's funny to me because I'm sitting there listening to this and, and um, yeah, because I don't have the, the eye thing as a hindrance, and I know that probably seems kind of weird to you that I'd say that, but then it opens up a whole different world of you know, being able to use all of your senses at the same time. There was time going up Albert Mountain, and it was climbing hands and feet. And um, so I was kind of nervous about it because I've never done any rock climbing. And so I'm thinking, okay, I can I can do this. I've got to do it because he's behind me. And there was fellow hikers that was coming down southbound with their dog. So we chatted for a minute. They went on. And then he tells me, go ahead, go ahead. And I said, well, you need to be right behind me. He says, keep going, keep going. And I thought, what is he up to? And so I get probably 20 or 30 feet, if not more, ahead of him. And he says, watch this. And I was like, let me record this. And he's like, no, because this might go bad real fast. So he didn't let me record it, but he climbed those rocks. I, I tell everybody like a spider monkey. I mean, he was just like, whoosh, 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 whoosh up there. And I was like, wow, 
the people that's that passed of with the experience. dog. Um, the dog, it was a bigger breed dog, but I heard the direction it had come through those that rock face. And it, so I knew that had to be a good direction. And mm-hmm. so then I went back the same path that the dog took, which was not what everybody was taking. It wasn't everybody the path that was I taking took. a different path. And that's why I kept telling her, you need to get ahead of me because I already knew I'm taking the direction that dog took because he didn't mm-hmm. stumble and I heard where he went. So and there was a little crack in the everything to where you could keep going and keep scrambling. Um, we had camped one night. Um, we had it was coming out of the NOC, and we didn't make it to that first shelter. Um, we was hiking with some other people then. Um, three, three other gentlemen we was hiking with, and trying to get a bear bag hung. And so here's a perfect limb for this bear bag. And the one gentleman tries it, and he keeps missing. You know, to throw the rope over the limb, he keeps missing. And so the other guy, he's trying it, and they're getting mad. They're like, why do we have to do a bear bag at the end of the day when we're all tired? Well, John had heard where the... The the, guy right before me had just thrown it, and the weighted bag had hit the limb. The rock hit the limb. And I said, whoa, 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 hand me the bag. First try, he gets it up and over the limb. And they're like, that's just great. We got showed up by a blind man. So there was things on trail that he could do better than some people by not having it. I mean, he could just hear where it hit and knew right where that limb was at. We got dropped back off at Davenport Gap right after the Smokies. I noticed that he started limping a little and he was asking to take more breaks and his face was red he was sweating he was hot he just did not look right to me so as we was hiking that day the thought was already going through my mind we're going to have to end this this we were not going to be able to continue on like this so we actually stopped short of where i wanted to camp at for the night and um, camped by a, a creek running through there and We got the tent set up, we got inside, and I had made us our dinner and everything, and then as nighttime was coming and he was getting cooled off, and I told him, I said, I'm done. I said, I quit. And he looked at me and didn't say much, but I told him, I said, I can't keep watching you be in misery. And I said, I know this day has been hard on you. And I said, I love you too much to let this keep going on. And I said, what do you think? And so we made sure that it was a mutual decision. And so we both agreed together. So he says, I quit. I say, he quit, you know, but it was a mutual decision that we just knew we couldn't keep going on like that. The heat was we saw was going to be a huge problem and um so we pulled off for that and we're not done with the at by any stretch we are what we've decided now is we're going to have to hike it in the fall once it starts to cool down 
all the way until it starts getting just too cold to actually do it. And then again in the spring, just as soon as it warms up the least little bit to where it's away from freezing temperatures. Um, and we don't even care about freezing temperatures, just, you know, not below zero. But all the way until spring is almost over and it starts to heat back up again. I guess for people that don't like the outdoors, you would think, oh, well, you probably were just so tickled to be able to get into the indoors and back to TV. And, and you're like, no, that's the last place you want to be. So you're sitting there going, oh, I want to be back on, on a trail somewhere. I don't care where. Matter of fact, when we got back from hiking the AT, we were literally at the home for less than 24 hours and we had already taken our gear and went hiking or camping again for a couple weeks because we were like we still have food in our rucks from whenever we were hiking the at and we are not coming back to this yet we're we're gonna go hang out in the shade and enjoy being just together so then we did go back home to southern ohio and when we got back home both of our daughters had turned 18 those were the youngest and so they're adults now and we sold everything that was in the house besides our necessities our personal things and we, which included our rucks we got our we got our rucksack <laughs> still and we got a 32 foot motor home and we got our two dogs and our cat and now we just travel we have this total freedom to go be wherever we want to be and do whatever we want to do and i i believe the trail has done that because I was oh, yeah. a very materialistic person before the trail. I like to have knickknacks and books and, you know, I mean, anything. I, I like to have stuff. And living on the trail, you realize you really don't need that stuff. You know, it blocks out a lot of, of your time and stuff. And so after being on the trail, I'm like, I don't care if I have that anymore or not. And so, actually, it was fairly easy for me to get rid of things. My thing is, you know how there are shopaholics, and they actually get an adrenaline rush from buying something. Um, I've become a tossaholic. Um, I actually get an adrenaline rush from being able to let something go. We made amazing friends on the trail, some that we still keep in contact with now. There was so many people from so many walks of life with so much background to them, and I am like Miss Social Butterfly. I love to talk. I have the gift of gab, and I would just sit and talk for hours with people. Hikers, in my opinion, are the most genuine, kind people you'll ever meet. And so everybody would stop and at least chat for a minute or two. And so we got to meet numerous, numerous, numerous other hikers. And so of course, when they heard our story, they were just amazed by us and they told us, you know, you are such an inspiration. And there was actually two gentlemen. And the other day I got a um, Facebook message from the boy. There were two 18 year old boys. And he texted me and he says, hey, guess what, boss? He says, we made it. And he sent me his summit picture at Katahdin. And I, I had not spoke with him since I had met him here at Gooder Grove. But he said, you know, that we were an inspiration to him. 
And so, you know, he thought to reach out to us to let us know that he made it. So there, there was a lot of people that said, on my bad days, I just, I just think of you being out there blind vapor. Since they've ended their thru-hike attempt, John and Jen are, as they said, continuing their travels across America in their new mobile home. They're determined to continue hiking the Appalachian Trail with plans to complete it in sections while they continue seeing America from the road. As we've said before, we hope you're enjoying the 2180 and would love to hear your feedback about the show, whether it's our audience survey at the2180.com or via email at the2180pod at gmail.com. Or if you find us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, please shoot us a note and let us know what you like or dislike about the show. We'll be back again next week with another episode. And as always, if there's somebody you think might make for a great interview, feel free to send them our way as well. For Constant Spring Creative, I'm Andrew Iden, and this is The 2180.